It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You're Locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I'm Danny Guru, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. One day after the Warriors beat the Cavs pretty definitively, there uh, you can listen to the podcast that I did with Adam Wurtzen about that if you want to hear more on it. There's a lot going on in the for the Warriors. You have the game against Oklahoma City, which is the big thing because it's going on on Wednesday, but also today was the groundbreaking ceremony for the Chase Center in San Francisco. So what I wanted to do was I already had scheduled a podcast with Fred Katz, who does Locked on Thunder, writer for the Norman Transcript. So I do that, and that is about 30 minutes, and we talk about the game, what we expect, and everything like that. And then afterwards, I'm going to do a little bit of my thoughts on the ceremony and the significance of the Chase Center for for me and just my own my own take on it. So that'll be after the whole interview discussion with Fred Katz. So I hope you enjoy that. And if you want to keep listening, you can keep listening. Danny, what's happening? Not a whole lot. I just got back from the groundbreaking ceremony for the Warriors new arena, which will be in San Francisco in a couple of years. So East East Bay fans are feeling heartbreak related to the Warriors that maybe is more similar to what your fan base felt a few months ago. <laughs> I'm just such. A, oh, I'm we're so starting mean. off. I'm just so trolling mean. all my listeners. Well, I, I'm I trolled Cavs fans last night because I enjoy that, and so I figured why not just keep it going. And I love the wonderful people of Oklahoma City. I spent a wonderful five days there, so good humor is only meant for those that I appreciate. <laughs> all right, so Wednesday night Thunder Warriors. It's it's a thing again. We went like two months without it being a thing. We were so close. We're so close to it not being a thing anymore. Now it's kind of a thing. There's kind of less hype around this game now, right? Like there's I'm surprised by there being so such little maybe I'm just kind of in my own. Okay, vacuum, I, 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 I think feel like less hype. I feel like I want to take this time to express frustration with the way that the league approaches these sorts of things, that they sometimes wait too long for the return game. And I don't mean the return game, meaning Oklahoma City coming back to Oakland. Durant in Oklahoma City hasn't even happened yet. It lost a lot of its sizzle, not only by not happening early, but by being supplanted by two other games between these two teams. I'm with you. When the schedule came out, I didn't know why the first game wasn't in Oklahoma City. And uh, I didn't know why they waited till February 11th for the Kevin Durant to, uh, to Oklahoma City return game. I didn't get it then. And, and you know what? I thought that this storyline was going to carry on all year. Like, I thought that, like, the dialogue all year was going to be about Kevin Durant. And it hasn't been that. I mean, from the Thunder perspective, of course. And it hasn't really been that. 
Uh, it's actually less intense, I think, than than I even expected it to be. It's died out even more than I thought. It, it's not like it's dead or anything, but it's died out even more than I thought it would. And uh, I, I'm yeah. I mean that that game is it's obviously going to be a big game, and people people in Oklahoma are going to be pumped for it. And the crowd that night is probably going to be the best crowd of any game I've ever been to. I just like wouldn't at all be surprised if that were the case, especially during like intros and that kind of stuff, especially if it's a close game or something like that. Um, they are going to be that is going to be a rowdy crowd. It's going to be insane. I, I'm excited to go to it. But like the hype around that game leading up to it, it's it's not going to be the same as if it were played in like November. I believe a highly esteemed local columnist just attributed some of that as being one of the larger accomplishments of Russell Westbrook's season is that the Durant story has not permeated the entirety of this Oklahoma City year and I for one am thankful for it <laughs> you're you're the, you, that's like the nicest thing you've ever said to me calling me highly esteemed I've never been highly esteemed I might be I might be in some circles respected but I don't think a I'm highly esteemed at least you're well liked so that's something you have over me yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, you're not you're not helping your likability by coming over and trash trashing the the thunder on the, on a thunder podcast. Well, that is not that is podcast. not what I did. I, I just was stirring the pot a little bit. I mean, I I still think as great as Oracle fans are, and they are the crowd at games three and four of the Western Conference Finals, which I covered in person, were two of the best crowds that I've ever experienced in person. Yeah, that was amazing. That was amazing. Um, you know what? Actually, that. That was not the best Thunder crowd that I've experienced in my less than a year covering the Thunder. The best Thunder crowd that I've experienced was game six of the Spurs Western Conference semis. That was was something about the loudest I've ever heard in arena or a stadium or anything in my entire life was when Kevin Durant hit a three to put the Thunder up like 20 or 21 or whatever it was in the first half in game six against uh, San Antonio. Oh, my goodness. That was it got so loud. I was sitting next to, you know, Barry Trammell. Yes, uh, loosely, yes. So Barry's like the best. He's just the nicest guy. And I'm, I'm, I sat next to Barry that game. Uh, and Durant, when he hit that three, it got so loud. And I leaned over to Barry and I was like, say, I leaned over to say to him, it's so loud. And I screamed in his ear, it's so loud. And he actually didn't, not only did he not hear me, he didn't even know I was like screaming in his ear. Like he, he wasn't even aware that I was right next to his face screaming in his ear. It was so loud. It's not like he could hear me, but it was like muffled. Like he didn't even know that I was screaming next to him. It was so loud. It was, it was, that was a crazy moment. Um, well, that ties in actually with something because that was a clinch game, correct? Yeah, that was, that was the game that closed out the series. The Warriors ha- had a similar thing. The loudest I ever heard an Oracle crowd was when they clinched the series against the Nuggets back in 2013. And the Warriors actually haven't had that many clinch series. They didn't win the title in Oakland. They won, I believe, one of the conference finals in Oakland. And that is a very different thing. When you know we're moving on, we beat this team, especially when it was a hard-fought series, which, of course, Thunder Spurs was last year. And it was an emotionally resonant moment for them. I understand why why that takes on a different thing. That's what the Nugget series was for the Warriors. It was, we've made a a significant step as an organization. Yeah, I I, I totally buy that. I remember that. That was a fun series, too, that Warriors-Nugget series. That was a really fun, that was a really fun series. Um want to talk a little bit about this actual game because there is a basketball game like i i don't know what what you alluded to that i wrote about like it's funny because the russell westbrook has been so good this year that the prevailing thunder story this year is not necessarily kevin durant it's holy 
crap, Russell Westbrook is averaging a triple-double. And like, what's Russell, from whether a positive or a negative, it's what's Russell Westbrook going to do tonight. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about what the Thunder are going to do on Wednesday night. Uh, Warriors are 35-6. and six. They're pacing to win a lowly, just unbelievably horrible 70 games. Danny, what happened to them? They lost Harrison Barnes. That's what happened. <laughs> Awful. Awful. 70 games. They have a higher net rating than they did last year. Uh, they're, they're plus minus through 41 games. They're outscoring opponents by more through 41 games than they were through 41 games last year. So they've, they've been okay. They've been doing all right. Um, except against, I guess, the Spurs, Memphis, Houston, and who's the other one who they haven't beaten that everyone talks about? Oh, the other team that they haven't beaten? Cleveland. I guess, I guess they, they beat Cleveland. Cleveland, so now it's a thing. Every, that was the dumbest. Um, that, was, that was one of the dumbest things. I guess that's over now. I didn't even think about that because they beat Cleveland on Monday. That was one of the dumbest things to me. When 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 people will be like, well, the Spurs haven't beaten Cleveland, Memphis, San Antonio, Houston, and Memphis, so they got to prove it against the top teams. That was ridiculous. It's even more ridiculous when the team in question has a track record. Like it's something very different when a team as an as an organization hasn't reached a certain threshold. Like let's say the Clippers not making the conference finals or the NBA finals. You know, if you get there, that's something different. The Warriors won an NBA championship over Cleveland. So anything on that note is is strange. I get that there are always times that, that you're scrambling for narratives, but for me, you can focus on the basketball between those two teams and also these two teams. And a question I wanted to ask you, considering the Clippers game last night, is how do you think the Thunder are going to approach this game in terms of their big men with Steven Adams flying back to Oklahoma? Yeah, so so last time, Ennis Kanter played only four games against the Warriors. Um, that is like... You know, I, I don't think that's going to happen this time. But at the same time, like Laverne, Canner, um, those guys like don't match up well with the Warriors on the defensive end. Now, Canner's been playing great lately, and they're going to need his offense. I, I think you might see a ton of minutes out of Jeremy Grant. Uh, last time they played with Grant, Grant was you know it was it was his second day ever with the Thunder. He hadn't had a practice. He came over the morning of the Clippers game on November second. He played in the, the Clippers game that night. And the next night they played the Warriors on the second night of a back-to-back. Um, I think you might see a lot of minutes out of Jeremy Grant. He played like 15 or the first 16 minutes or something like that of the Clippers game. I think if it weren't a blowout, there's a chance he might have played like 40 minutes in that game. But Donovan used him to start because he wanted to switch him on pick and rolls and that kind of stuff. And he wanted to have a defensive presence out there and keep Canner in that same role against the Clippers. I, I have a feeling. I, I don't know this for sure. I have a feeling he's going to do the same thing this time. I don't know if it's necessarily going to work, but I have a feeling he's going to do the same thing. But maybe Grant just plays like 40 minutes or something in this game. He could. I would be excited to see it just because he adds a different dimension. And if they're actually playing him at at power forward or center, that's a lot closer to his ideal role. And I've advocated for that basically since they acquired him. So anything that gets them in that direction, I mean, obviously you don't want Steve Nams to be hurt. I'm a huge fan of his, but it's still an encouraging part of this. What do you think of Grant as a player? Like what? What do you think? What do you think Jeremy Grant in like ten years is going to be? Like we look back on Jeremy Grant's career ten years from now, like this is what Jeremy Grant's career has been—an intriguing and 
somewhat popular role player who you always wonder if he could have been more. And I, I would love for him to, to be more than that. But his lack of a jump shot is a concern. And also that he's he does not he doesn't have the perfect physical skill set to be a straight four just because he doesn't he, uh, physically he's a little bit less strong than you'd want. But I like him because he's he can jump. He's agile. He plays with good energy. But even in today's NBA, I think of him more as a second unit guy. And that is okay, but it's still valuable in the league. I mean, you you need all the quality fours you can get, and it's his his best spot is at power forward, not at small forward, because you can use his offense better. It's very similar to Aaron Gordon in that way, where his strengths become stronger and his weaknesses become less glaring. So I hope they go in that direction. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's a uh, I think he's more of a four than a three, but at the same time, like the Thunder don't have the luxury of doing that. Because they have a decent amount of bigs. They've got four bigs who they play, and they don't have a lot of wings. So uh, they kind of have to use him True. at the three. I think in an ideal world, like if they had the exact roster that he wanted, then they would play Jeremy Grant at the four. And Cam uh, at the five. I think those guys complement yeah. each other very well. And it, I, you can't do it right now, but generally speaking, I would just cut Joffrey Laverne, make him make him the fifth big as opposed to playing in that lineup. Because Laverne's a fine player. He's just unnecessary when the Thunder have the two starting set or the two legitimate centers they have. Right. And he's a little redundant. His skills are a little redundant with canners. Exactly. Yeah, they, there's not really that much that canner does, which Laverne is going to come in and do do better or replace or fill in the gaps or anything like that. Uh, like, you know, Canner and Adams are very different players. They Each of them kind of complements in the way that the other one doesn't do, you know? Well, I guess Adams is so much more complete now, so it doesn't really fit, but you know what I mean. To make a football analogy, it's kind of like when you have two different quarterbacks. Yeah, it's great to have both of them, but you can't really play them together. So you appreciate each one of them for what they bring and do that, whereas Adams and Canner, you can play them at different positions. You can fit them in together a little bit, so there isn't that kind of a conflict. Right. For sure. Um, so what is going to happen with this second unit? Um, the Thunder second unit has been better lately. Last time these two teams played, obviously the Thunder season has developed and the Warriors have, and they've gone through ebbs and flows, but Kevin Durant runs the second unit and the Warriors second unit is real good. What is going to happen with this second unit when, when Russell Westbrook is off the floor on Wednesday night? Like what are the Warriors going to do? The Warriors have actually changed their second unit over the last two weeks. It's an interesting shift. They have moved away from Durant running the second unit and moved towards Draymond Green. They basically have flip-flopped their sub-rotation. It happened because of two games where Draymond Green got in early foul trouble, the Cleveland game, and then when they played in Sacramento a couple weeks later. That switch has given Curry and Durant more time together. So depending... Russ usually plays the whole first quarter, correct? Uh... No, he comes out. He comes out at around two or three minutes. That's right. Okay, so then that time is going to be a, a real danger spot for the Thunder because Curry and Durant will still be on the floor. Presumably, Draymond and Clay Thompson will be out, but it'll be some combination of Curry, Durant, Iguodala, and whatever big they feel like playing. That could, unit could go on a little bit of a run at the end of the quarter. The second unit with Draymond instead of Durant, as you would guess, is very talented defensively. A lot of long-armed, smart guys, but they do not have much natural scoring. So I'm not sure they'll put a huge number on the Thunder in that time. It could be an advantage for Oklahoma City compared to what it was last time. Also, I believe that was a, on the tail end of a back-to-back for OKC. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, they played the Clippers the night before. Right. So they they put it on him in that reason in that regard as well. I think it'll be a little bit tighter there. But the Warriors also their their offense and defense are both doing better. The 
barometer for the Warriors this entire stretch, the last three or four weeks, has been whether they're active on defense. And that doesn't really answer the question of how are they going to do when Westbrook's out the floor, but it does change the tenor of it because if they're engaged defensively, they can get transition points and everything else. And if they're not, they can let almost any team hang in there. The Pistons came back in the game with their second unit against the Warriors second unit and a couple other teams have as well. Okay, so let's say let's say hypothetically just for the sake of discussion, Jeremy Grant starts alongside uh alongside Sabonis in the front court. The Clippers had 62 points in the paint in that game. And like it's not like it was DeAndre Jordan played really well, but it's not like it was just like DeAndre killing him or or other big men killing him like Ray Felton was getting by the guards and and getting into the paint and there was no help. Uh, or, you know, they were getting switches and, and, and blown by guards and that kind of, or blown by bigs and that kind of stuff. And, uh, they were, they were just getting to the rim whenever they wanted. They shot, I forget what it was. They shot a crazy high percentage in the paint and at the rim. Um, now, obviously I think it's safe to say if Steven Adams is there, that either doesn't happen or it happens to a lesser degree because that's what Steven Adams is really good at. Um, but they're not going to have him on Wednesday night. So if you're the Warriors, how are you trying to take advantage of that? Two different things at the same time. First is finishing when you have an opportunity. The Warriors have certain players that they don't fear in the lane. Mason Plumlee is one of these, and Mason Plumlee is a better rim protector than a lot of the guys OKC is going to trot out there. Because of that playoff series, the Warriors just don't really care when he's there, so they finish over him, they finish around him. I expect that we'll see some of that as well. But the other part, what makes the Warriors legitimately terrifying offensively is that they can actually turn dribble penetration into more points than a layup because they're so good at creating and then making open threes. So I think we'll see some of that as well. A lot of times teams scramble when they see a guy breaking towards the rim and they'll leave Clay Thompson, they'll leave Kevin Durant, and that can be a real backbreaker because if it's three points and that's what really gets an Oracle crowd going, other than a highlight layup, is a three by anyone, especially Steph. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I mean, that's, I, I, I wonder how they're going to be able to get to the rim. And I also like, Here's here's my worry if I'm the Thunder. It's not it's not uh scoring in the paint. Like the Clippers got to the paint and scored in the paint. My worry is those drives and kicks. Like if they're able to get into the paint, the Thunder so the Thunder, what's weird about the Thunder defense is they're they're pretty high ranked in terms of their efficiency. I forget where they are after the Clippers game, but they're pretty good. Like they're top half of the league. But they give up a lot of shots at the rim. They give up a higher percent higher percentage of their field goals allowed come at the rim than any other team. And they give up a decent amount of corner threes, too. And it's weird to see that ratio on a really good defense, uh, especially considering teams shoot pretty okay against them at the rim, too. It's not like teams are shooting incredibly poorly at the rim, like Utah or something like that. Um, they are, they're, shooting, they're shooting pretty okay against them. So I'm, uh, I'm interested to see what Golden State does if they're able to get into the paint, they're able to get in penetration, when they kick it back out, when they're able to create from the inside and they actually get into that belly, what happens? <sighs> yeah, I mean, so I I want I want I want to turn this a little bit to ask you is beyond Russ, who is incredible. How do you see Oklahoma City taking advantage of the Warriors if they use this as a letdown game because of the emotional win they had on Monday? Can you repeat that? Sure. So if if the so the, I, I talked earlier about how the Warriors have had games where they're active defensively and games where they're passive. If this is a passive game. What do you see as the as the way that the Thunder use that to generate reliable offense? Mm, probably just being able to probably just being able to get there and get get their points in transition. 
I mean, that's that's really the Thunder's best weapon offensively. Like Russell Westbrook gets a ton of defensive rebounds. He gets out in the break real quick, um, and you know they're able to get points. Like they've they're they're a they're re- they're really good at getting into transition. They're not really good at scoring in transition once they're in transition, but transition opportunities are so much more efficient than half court opportunities, as you very well know. That even if you're the least efficient, you know, transition offense in the league, that that's still more efficient than you know any half court opportunity that you're going to have. Uh, so so them just being able to get into transition and them stopping the Warriors in transition that's something that's interesting for them defensively. They're they're one of the best transition teams in the league. Uh, they don't give a lot, a lot of points in transition. They're pretty good at matching up with the correct guys in transition, especially Andre Robertson. He's he's really good at finding his assignment, which is really important when you can get your best wing guy on, uh, you know, whoever he's guarding, whether it's a point guard or or, you know, a big forward or whatever it is. Um, you know, he's he's really good at picking up the right guy and being able to find that, which is particularly impressive because he often has to guard the person who's a person who's not guarding him. Mm-hmm. So. So it's particularly impressive that Robertson is able to do that a lot. Um, but I uh, I think that's kind of their weapon. I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen. But uh, that's that's really their best chance, I think, against a lot of teams like this is just to be able to, to kill them in transition on offense, get out in transition a ton, maybe end up with some transition threes from, from Oladipo or something like that, and, and they happen to go down in those opportunities. And, uh, and, and then defensively, Obviously, this is a point against the Warriors every time you play them. But being able to just pick up any man in transition and get back, you know, as well as they've been able to do it. Like they've had games where they've given up zero transition points a couple of times this year. Um, And on a point per possession basis, they're one of the better transition teams. And, uh, you know, even after turnovers, teams are really slow to shoot against them, which shows that they're good at slowing down those transition opportunities. So I think that's the way to do it. That's a good point. The Thunder have been very active in transition. It's been a bright point for them offensively and you, and as you said, defensively. And the Warriors have not been as zealous, especially in those passive games, at getting back. So if the, if the Thunder can do so, it will certainly help. And I, I'm skeptical of how they'll do in the half court, just because the Warriors generally engage at that point if it reaches it. But they can get some buckets in transition. Who do you think... So how do you think the Thunder work their defensive matchups? Because with Adams out, again, let's assume it's Grant. With Adams out... It's a it's a little because like Robertson, you could you know, I can envision Robertson guarding Clay. I can envision Robertson guarding Steph. I can envision Robertson guarding Durant. Maybe you want Grant on Durant. Um, how how would you go about it? I'd probably have when 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 the Warriors and Thunder are in their standard alignment. So if Jeremy's playing the four, probably have Robertson on Durant and pray that Russ can just stay at least a little bit with Curry. The Warriors do not run much pick and roll, so you don't have to worry about that. Though they are doing more of it since around Christmas is when it really turned around. So that is a possibility. They could dabble with it, but Billy Donovan has in the past also, you know, like if a matchup isn't working, he'll change it up. So I would start with Robertson on Durant, but if you feel the need to change it, at least they have the personnel to try different things. Right. I I think I might start with Grant on Durant. I I think, I think I might start with Grant on Durant and Robertson on, on clay. Um, I, what's funny is I'm sure there's a piece of knowledge that both of us don't have. That's incredibly pertinent, which is when they played in practice for all, for all that time, how, how they went after it and how they approached it. You know, if, if Durant would just use, use him and like learned all of his defensive things or the opposite way, a lot of times that practice player, your rival in, in that can know all your tricks too. So that piece of information will be crucial. Well, I, I asked, 
someone on the team who shall remain nameless, um, if if Robertson would guard um, KD during practices and stuff, and if that if you thought that that would the person that I asked was not Robertson, um, and if you thought that that would help uh, help Robertson in the game. And they said whenever they scrimmaged, they would always do first first team versus second team. So Robertson and KD were always on the same team. But that can't have been true forever. Robertson was not a starter for most of his time. That's true. That's true. That's true. But yeah, yeah. I was, guess it was a nice non-answer though. That very, was a, good a answer. very good non-answer. Yeah, didn't even respond. I don't think the person was trying to trick me. It was no, kind of- no, no. And 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 you think back usually to the most <laughs> recent time that that question was pertinent. So, right. You know, exactly. the last time that question was pertinent, they were starters, and so they didn't face each other. Right. That's what I get for being a uh, bad journalist and not realizing that until you just said that. Hey, you're highly esteemed. It's nothing, nothing wrong. <laughs> well, I can ask. Uh, I can ask again, and then find out. I wonder um, that, that. Yeah, it is something that I've wondered too. I wonder how that works. Um, I wonder. I wonder. Like, because Grant guarded Durant a little bit. I think they liked it. Robertson's so good guarding off the ball. Um, maybe you have Oladipo. On, you know, it's so hard because Draymond makes things so hard is the problem. Maybe you have Grant on Draymond, um, just because he's rangy and 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 maybe he can disrupt some some passes and stuff. And well, well, another part. Another likes the guard stuff too. Like another, Russ likes the guard stuff. Another thing to consider with this, especially when you have a younger team, which at this point Oklahoma City is compared to the Warriors. Sometimes you want to just also go with what the other team does because then you ensure that you're not going to have these weird split matchups. Because even though the Thunder, as you said, have been better at catching figuring you know just figuring it out in transition when a team runs a lot and you have different assignments on the opposite ends of the floor you can make mistakes all the time yes that that is that is very true um and it's it's something that that's that's one of the things that i'm, I'm working on a piece on the thunders transition defense because what's interesting is that they're top 10 in offensive rebound rate and they're like top five in transition defense uh yes. and that's usually not a thing they're like sixth in offensive rebound rate and fourth in transition defense or something like that last time i checked and um, th- those aren't complementary. Th- those 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 stats usually have an inverse relationship, and it's it's kind of amazing that they've been able to to hold that up. And one of the things that that I want to focus on is just the way that they've been able to pick up their guys, even though teams often cross match against them, and they often cross match against teams. Um, it's it's a really interesting thing because you're right, it is that's that's hard, and it's even harder when you're going up against a team like Golden State. True. Yeah. So, I, anything else you want to talk about? No, I I think. So after the game against the the Clippers, do you feel like the Thunder, not only because of the whole Durant thing, which is a little bit overwrought, but just the nature of playing a team that has been a rival for years, will bring out closer to their A-level of intensity? Mm, Yeah, I do. I don't know if it'll do them a ton of good, uh, but I I, I do. I think even, even Russell Westbrook after the, after the Clippers game, like even he was saying they came out sluggish and like, that's fine that they came out sluggish. Second night of a road back to back. They're in the midst of a long road trip. Clippers are twenty nine and fourteen. It's not like they dropped to some bad team at home or something like that. Second night of a road back to back against a, a six eighty team is always an excusable loss, um, and and that's always an excusable situation where like you're you're gonna come out sluggish in some of the eighty two games in a year. Like sure. you're, any team, you're you're just going to because teams are made up of human beings, and that's an excusable situation to come out like sluggish it doesn't mean not giving effort it just means like you're tired because this is an exhausting thing that they're going through right now i think they'll have it against the warriors though they get the day off um they didn't have a late flight on la usually teams fly out after the games they stayed 
they stayed in LA and, and flew out in the afternoon to, uh, to San Francisco on, uh, on Tuesday. So it's not like their sleep schedules are going to be all messed up. Like it often is on road trips. I, uh, I think I think they're going to come out and they're they're going to look better than they did against the Clippers. Now, not having Steven Adams though is just um, they got to be really disappointed about that. Certainly, and it's it can be hard in those moments, like when when you know that you're not going to have a teammate to yeah, like you sometimes you get that early rally and then you just go bah, you know, like it's not our mm-hmm. game. That could be the story, but I also legitimately don't know whether the Warriors are going to be bringing it because they certainly did the first time. You know, like that was a unifying thing of like you know we want to play well in this game. The Thunder were so successful. Were they undefeated or they had one loss at that point? They were four and zero. They just won at the Clippers. Yeah, that's right. In that nasty slog of a game. Yeah, but that was such a that was one of those like ugly fun games. Yes, that was a, that was a fun eighty five to eighty three game. Right. So I think that had a different atmosphere. There is an argument to be made that this is of the three games that the Warriors have during the week of this week, that it is the least central to them because Cleveland being number one and Houston on Friday being number two. But it still has it still has meaning for these guys. And I'm sure they would love to end this road trip strong. So my current theory of the game is that the Thunder surprise a little bit early keep it close maybe even have the lead and then when Russ comes out maybe that starts to turn the tide and then it's it kind of goes that way in the second half which has been the Warriors MO in a couple of games this year including against Detroit a couple days ago and from a personal perspective it 100% has meaning for Durant absolutely like no question he's he's even like he hasn't talked about that recently but he's talked about playing against you know Oklahoma City and and what that means to him and and all that stuff. I mean, it has personal meaning. And, and regardless of what the Thunder guys say or don't say, it has personal meaning to them. Because, like I said, they're human beings. And this is a thing. Like, if I had to, even even if it's not, like, personal meaning doesn't mean hatred. I'm not even accusing them of hating them. I'm just saying it's personal meaning when you go up against a team to beat you in the Western Conference, in the Western Conference Finals, when you're going up against, you know, Kevin Durant, who's the face of your franchise. Like, that's fine. I just, I you can't tell me that these are the most competitive basketball players in the world. From an actual personality standpoint, can't tell me that Russell Westbrook's insanely competitive and Victor Oladipo and Steven Adams and Ennis Kanter, that they're all insanely competitive people. And then tell me, no, it's just another game because that's not how competitive people work. Competitive people get hyped up in competitive situations. That's part of what makes them competitive. So I I, I think I think they I'm not saying they approach it differently. I'm not saying it affects affects them negatively or positively. But what's going through their minds is something different on Wednesday night. And I won't believe otherwise. I think you're right. Thanks again to Fred Katz for taking the time. You can read him at the Norman Transcript, you can listen to Locked on Thunder, and you can follow him on Twitter at Fred Katz. That's F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. Also, if you want to hear or read my content on Warriors Cavs, you can listen to yesterday's Locked on Warriors. You can listen to the Dunked on Basketball podcast I did with Nate Duncan. I tried to keep them pretty distinct, so there's some overlap, but not a whole heck of a lot. Then also wrote two pieces for The Athletic, the standard game review and player reviews. So you can look at all that material if you want to relive the 35-point win. And I wanted to take a few minutes at the end of this to talk about the Chase Center opening. I covered it today. It was... A spectacle in many ways, though the spectacle was, I don't know, not the most interesting part of it to me. It was the delicate dance that the organization had to do relating to the move because they are changing cities. 
within the same geographic area, away from a place that had given them so much. And I really enjoyed Marcus Thompson's piece on the move, particularly from the perspective of somebody who has such a background in Oakland. And as a North Bay kid myself, it is a little bit different for for us just because the identity part of it wasn't as present there. And I kind of want to split what he wrote into a couple different pieces and talk about them. The most important even though it is also the most callous, is that, and Marcus got into this, is that as a business move, this was a no-brainer. There is not a venue like the Chase Center or really a large-scale arena in San Francisco. And I had been of the mind that even back when Larry Ellison was trying to buy the team, that he should have just built an arena in San Francisco because of the money. As some of you know, I have a background in the ticket business. And so I did a lot of buying and selling all over the country, but also in the Bay Area. And it was notable compared to the other markets, just how different and how kind of spastic the concert revenue was at various different places around and it was inconsistent compared to a place like LA or uh, Seattle or any anywhere like that and so there was always a market for that kind of an event space with or without the Golden State Warriors but the Warriors made the most sense even then back when the team wasn't very good and now it makes even more sense so that is kind of an underlying piece of this whole puzzle is that the the Warriors made sense moving, especially when you had an ownership group that didn't have a particular connection to Oakland as opposed to the Bay Area as a whole. And they saw the Warriors as the Bay Area's team, and they saw that as being congruous, and, and I understand why they did. That is distinct from the way that Oakland and the East Bay were treated prior to the Lake Up Goober regime, where they they were distanced, really, you know, the idea that they were never the Oakland Warriors, that Oakland was never on the jerseys. Those sentiments are connected and related and completely fair. It is frustrating that the Warriors didn't do that, especially considering beyond the prior history precedent, uh, you know, just the fact that it already existed, that it's strange to have a team with the name of an entire state when there are numerous other professional basketball teams in the same state. It's always, I, I always, that always bothered me personally. And that it was largely done because they didn't want to rep Oakland is also frustrating because Oakland is a place that, that deserves that. And, and the East Bay in particular, while the Warriors are the Bay Area's team, the move to Oakland was largely, from what I understand, it was before I was born, was largely about necessity. That San Francisco at that time could not support the team or could not support it as well as they expected. And moving to Oakland was, to a degree, an alternative for moving away entirely. And they have been revitalized and become a monolith in, in the NBA world right now. I mean, that's not going to be permanent. They will not be that forever. But they are right now. And the consistent support of the fans that are presently around the team is a huge component of that. It's it's a part of the reason why Steve Kerr came here. It's part of the reason why Kevin Durant came here. And they will lose some of that. And and I, one thing I did appreciate about the, not the ceremony itself, but the post part was that Joe Lacob was asked about losing the atmosphere from Oracle. And he said what all of us are basically thinking, which is that he is legitimately concerned about losing the atmosphere. And realistically, they will. That is a component of any move. And it was true with the Giants too. I born and raised Giants fan. When they moved from Candlestick to Pac Bell, the atmosphere was gone for a couple of years. You know, it was the ticket prices got a little bit higher. It was a different crowd. But once the team got good 
it wasn't the same, but it was very enthusiastic. And then as the World Series came later on, it got a little bit closer. I mean, I still think back fondly to the atmosphere at Gains at Candlestick. That's just how you are. You also romanticize the time for your formative years. That's just the way all of this always works. And that was good that they were that they were honest about that and that they approached that way. I was also intrigued. Mark Spears asked him about the idea of the name, and it sounds more like they're going to keep the name the Golden State Warriors. It did not sound definite, but it did sound closer to definite on that side of it than I had ever heard before. And the logic was that the team has a brand now and changing the name is changing a brand that is now strong. It was not strong a couple of years ago, but it is now. And maybe the delay because of the changing of the sites opened the door for them to stay the Golden State Warriors. And broadly speaking, from a purely personal standpoint, at this point, I'm okay with it. Kind of goes back to the idea Bill Simmons has talked about this before of how winning a championship changes the way that a franchise is and the idea that teams shouldn't move once they win a title. I also, first of all, I don't count this as a move in that sense because they're staying in the same geographic area. But branding is is a part of that as well. And it would be not only strange to do that after you won a championship, but when you're still a championship contender. So to change the name in that form. However, as a ardent supporter of the city jerseys because they are beautiful and some of the best jerseys, in my opinion, in the history of professional basketball, those should come back. I think those should be the rule and then they can use other things as the exception. I understand that it would have been nice if they would have had Oakland themed jerseys in the, back in the day, presently, all of that time. But city jerseys are a part of the Warriors history as well. They're also awesome. And if it, if that distinction matters to you, far, far much bigger of a fan of the blue city jerseys than the yellow ones, which are the ones that they've been using recently. Yellow ones are kind of distinctive, but the blue ones are just gorgeous. So if they could move in that direction, I personally would support it. As much as I like to keep this on X and O's, I do think about and care about the aesthetic. So that is just my note for the record. I know other people disagree, but when I tweeted out after I asked Bob Myers about it and Bob Myers leaned towards using the city jerseys like they are now as kind of an alternate that people generally, I think, sided more with me than with Bob. Of course, they could also be my followers. You never really know. So I'm excited about the venue from the idea that it is a space that the Bay Area will definitely benefit from, not only for the Warriors, but for concerts and events and have that in a space by Mission Bay that, you know, there's there's land over there and it could help with the neighborhood, just like AT&T Park has a couple blocks to the set to the north not to the south that would be great you know if it can if it have that benefit and if it doesn't at least it was generated with private funds which is absolutely massive as a born and bred barrier person to go into it with that expectation to actually do it is great i would have been immensely critical if they had done anything else but they didn't so i can't i can't rip it because they did it exactly right the stadium itself we're gonna have to find out because we were given very few specifics at this time. I'm guessing that was because there are a lot of pieces of it that are works in progress and because anything you reveal at this point then becomes standard issue for any stadiums built forward. And the idea of com- competition in that way is certainly there that you want to be state of the art, at least when you come out. And I remember when I was walking through the Golden One Center, the King's New Arena, I was just sitting there going, oh man, the Warriors are going to steal everything that's good about this place and put it in their arena. Not in a negative way. You know, the Golden One Center is very, very nice, but that's the nature of building a sports arena is that best practices become standard practices and then other people build on top of that. So if you want to be special, you need to keep a little bit under wraps. And 
giving it two and a half years seems like enough time. It depends. It's the city. You never know what's going to happen in terms of construction delays and other sorts of issues. But time will have to tell with all that. And I'm sure that they will, considering it's their own money and it's their own building, that they will put the time in to making it the best that they think it can be, whether that is the best possible, whether it's the best ideas, we'll have to find out. I I can't speak to that at the moment. I I try to be optimistic with these sorts of things, but you really don't know. So I am entirely sympathetic to the East Bay fans who feel like, justifiably feel like this is a slight, like this is a continuation of a consistent wave of of disrespect coming their way from a franchise that they gave nothing but love to. I understand that. I sympathize with that. But at a at a very basic level, this isn't about fairness. If if it were, maybe you'd have a second team in the Bay Area. I think from a revenue perspective, the NBA has done some has made some poor decisions from a revenue perspective. Moving a team from Seattle to Oklahoma City was a poor decision from a revenue perspective. Not having two teams in the Bay Area, not having two teams in Chicago, not having two teams in New York City until very recently. Revenue is not everything. It is something. So I, I don't know what to take with that. I'm just noting it for this little this little space that I have. But that's really all my thoughts on the matter. If, if people want to share any more or if you want me to talk more about this, I'm, I'm totally happy to. It's something I think about a fair amount just as somebody who lives in the barrio, was born and raised here and who is lucky enough to cover this and has background covering the Niners and the, the Giants as well. That, you know, the stadiums that are built and the dynamics here are, are important. So if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, indifferent, you can send it to me, NBA at gmail.com, at DannyLaRue on Twitter. Also, if you're interested in advertising on the show, you can reach out in that way as well. If you are local, this is actually a great way to do it because you know that a large portion of the listeners, and I can get geographic targeting on this and demographics if that's what you're looking for, we're happy to do that. I I'm not the greatest at soliciting that sort of thing, but I am great at advertising the things that I believe in. And if you think you fit in with that, the same email address, NBA at gmail.com would certainly work. If you want to support the podcast in other ways, you certainly can. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. You can also subscribe and download every episode. They, those things really do help. And as all of you would expect, We'll have a new episode tomorrow about the Oklahoma City Thunder game and everything that that implies. We'll see what ends up happening. I am legitimately unsure on what I'm going to do in terms of Thursday going into Friday because the Warriors have that big game on Friday against the Rockets, and I'm probably going to try to do something post-game on that. So maybe do something quick. I was thinking about doing a Reddit mailbag, but now I'm leaning towards doing that next week, especially because the Warriors also have games over the weekend. So figuring that out, still nothing set. But of course, definitely a podcast tomorrow about the Thunder game, whether it ends up being a blowout or ends up being close or ends up being a loss. You never really know. It's part of the fun of sports. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. San Jose Sharks hockey is back, and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm J.D. Young.
Eric Fowle. Together, we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.